good evening and welcome to the Jackcast, your Swansea City podcast. I'm Matt Brock and I'm joined once again by Stephen Carroll. Evening, Steve. Evening. Well, you've waited six weeks for one and you've got two in a week now, so don't say we don't give you anything, uh, Jackcast listeners. Um, Steve, thanks again for joining me. Um, we've not got a long one today, but it seems to be a lot of news to cram into one, uh, considering we did a big update last week. Um, we've just got a little bit of a catch-up to do and one game to review, which was the Bristol City FA Cup third-round game at Ashton Gate on the weekend. Um, a positive performance in the first half and it all seemed to get very lacklustre and slow in the second and we were ultimately punished for that and perhaps some would argue the worst result of the three options, which was a replay. Yeah, probably uh, not the result that either side wanted, really, I would say. I mean, both probably trying to concentrate on the league, as, as the saying goes, but probably open to a cup run, but just not thinking about, you know, an, an extra midweek game in a in a packed shed, really. But the fact is, neither side was, was good enough to get the win with it. I mean, as you alluded to, we, we did play well the first half. I mean, we do have to be realistic, though, and say that without arguably the biggest gift I've seen all season, and that is saying something when you've seen some of the goals that we've given away. Uh, we didn't really threaten, did we, in that first half, despite dominating possession. So there still does seem to be that problem at times where not making possession count, but um, fair play with the goal to Cullen, putting pressure on the ball, led to the mistake. Um, and obviously then Perot was uh, was there to, to tap it in, even though he, he had quite a lacklustre display again, didn't he? But... Um, you know, we, we should have seen that outdoor really, shouldn't we? I, I didn't think Bristol City were much of a side, but we were poor in the second half, weren't we? Yeah, we've said this a few times. We've seen the opposition. We thought the opposition had been quite poor and they haven't offered a lot. And we've dominated in key areas. We've dominated in the defence and midfield and been able to establish that stronghold on the game. But when it comes to the upper third, that that area where you can make it happen. Um, you've got Cullen, who's a workhorse, who'll always provide the the, the the runs into the corner. He'll chase lost causes. But um, he scored on the weekend, so we'll temper that, temper that against the reality of the situation, which is what we discussed before, um, Steve, which is Joel Perot is, is really off form, really off colour, and we are in desperate need for someone who we can rely on in the final third to stick it away when we're on top. Yeah, it does feel like that, but I think it's it's not just with Perot, is it? Although I know we said he's been out of form for a while, really, haven't we? That you know he's not delivering as as we expect, but it does feel like sometimes we're not taking enough risks either. Mm. I mean, the the team that did play the other day, I mean, we had Allen, Grimes, and Fulton in the team. I mean, it doesn't exactly scream goals, does it? I mean, that's uh, you know a good example. I mean, Cooper has has contributed a few of them. I mean, Cullen, to be fair, is working hard. I don't think he's ever going to be a, a prolific goal scorer for us. And obviously Perot has been off the boil. So I think that's where the problem is. Maybe we're looking for the goals to be shared around a little bit more, but we've got, you know, one or two now that obviously have been like ousted and, and seem like they're on the way out. Yeah. Um, obviously the likes of, you know, if and Cham is obviously somebody that can get a goal, but I mean, some of his goals have come from the bench, but he's uh, obviously he's not getting a, a huge amount of minutes at the moment. So, you know, and obviously we'll, I know we'll touch on someone like Arco Flex, that someone that can make things happen. Obviously, he's not here now, so I think that seems to be a bit of a problem, doesn't it? We, not just necessarily people that can score, but people that maybe will take the risks and and will create as well. We don't really have anybody now, do we, that can beat a man, for example? And you know, we must be the slowest team in the division as well. There's, there's just no pace, is there? We seem to have players who can do things that perhaps are in the wrong position. Um... Harry Darling is one that strikes me as a player who perhaps would benefit from playing a little bit further up the pitch because his forward thinking and his forward movements is is sometimes really a joy to behold. And a player who reminds me a little bit of is is um, back when Alan Tate was you know a 19 year old on loan down at uh, down down at the Vetch and he used to bring the ball out of defence with the sort of confidence which Harry Darling does, albeit at a very different level. But you can see that in his game and you can see the opportunities and he sees a space. He's that more than happy to dart into it um, and he, he can make things happen. But obviously being a centre-half, there's limited opportunities to do that in his game. But as you say, there's 
in the midfield there when you've got defensive-minded players who are more likely to try and pass it off to someone to make the business uh, decisions, then um, you end up with a lot of uh, shuffling around and the opposition are able to regroup. Um, it is worth probably mentioning that um, I thought Joe Allen had a fantastic game again against Bristol City and he was probably, uh, in my for my money, the uh, best ones player on the pitch. Yeah, I do agree with that. I mean, I wasn't singling out the likes of Alan Grimes and Fulton saying they didn't necessarily do anything wrong. It's just more that it's the blend that we've got the mm. right thing for us at the moment in this moment in time, if you know what I mean. But um, I do agree with you. I thought Joe was was excellent again, really. The last two games have been very encouraging from him. I mean, I've from my point of view, I always felt it was a no-brainer to bring him back. Obviously, it hasn't worked out as well as we would have liked at this stage. You know, a couple of injuries and and stuff like that. He hasn't played as many times as we would have liked, but he's showing signs of getting back to his best. And if he is at his best, he is a great player for us. We're very lucky that we managed to get him back, really. Um, and I'm optimistic if he stays fit, he's going to be a big player for us for the rest of the season. So that's definitely a positive, isn't it? It is a positive. I guess you look at it as a double-edged sword because you're looking at the players over the last three or four weeks have really rolled their socks up and stuck and put a shift in. And you could probably name, at the, at, towards the top of the list, the three you'd mentioned were Ollie Cooper, Liam Cullen and Joe Allen. Um, and all three of those are local boys. And, and I guess where the chips are down, those are the ones that are giving you the extra 10%, 15% that you need um, and prepared to run through brick walls. The the double edged sword of it is why aren't why isn't necessarily everyone doing the same thing? But you always do get a little bit more, and it means a little bit more um, personally to the to the local lads, doesn't it? But um, there's work to be done. I fair I think it's fair to say there's work to be done in the transfer window, Steve. Yeah, there um, there definitely is work to be done. We we'll just look short on we of that. You know, players in certain positions, you know, I mean, the fact that Aubameyang and Patterson now have, you know, it, it looks like they're finished at this club, I think. I can't think of another way of describing it. I mean, both players need replacing, really, because we just look short on numbers. I mean, the bench looked weaker the other day. I mean, even Ogbeta made it on the bench. And I mean, if he's getting on there and Patterson and Aubameyang aren't, that, that really does say a lot, really, doesn't it? So, um, yeah. You know, I mean, we just didn't really have the options to come on, did we, and make a difference apart from maybe in Cham. So it is getting a bit more challenging, I think, for the manager. Now, he, he does need some options, but at the same time, some of the ones he's been given previously, like Flex, hasn't really given the fair chance to, in my opinion. So that maybe doesn't help. And you do wonder if going forward with loan players, if some clubs are going to be a little bit more reluctant to um, to give us an opportunity to bring them in. So... But, you know, I mean, we'll see when we are. There's a long way to go in this window, but I can't say I'm overly optimistic that we're, it's going to be a great one. I mean, we always know January isn't, you know, an easy time necessarily to do business. And I get the feeling it's going to be reliant on people going as to who we can bring in. And if they don't go, you know, um, fairly quickly, you're then going to be limited towards the end of the window in terms of what you can do. So, but, you know, I mean, we'll see. There's, uh, there's three weeks left yet, isn't there? So... Well, hold that thought because I, I will, we'll stick with that as the, as, the, as the theme of where we're going with it. We'll talk on the transfer window now. But just before we move on from Bristol City, um, so I had to end it on a negative. But it, it was another glaring mistake by Stephen Bender. I am a big fan, as you know, and, and I know you are too. We think he's the best goalkeeper of the club. But there has been a uh, few mistakes that have crept in the last three or four weeks. Um, he'll be bitterly disappointed again. Following on from the Burnley um, mistake, uh, he's been beaten again from a, a very soft head at Disney Post. He needs to keep that out, doesn't he? He did come on Twitter after the game and apologise. Um, but it's it's a it's a little bit of a habit. We really hope and need for him to snap out straight away. Yeah, he, he isn't in the type of form that he was in earlier in the season. That's, I can't disagree with him on that one. Um, obviously, there's been a couple of poor mistakes. I think he should have saved the goal on the weekend, to be honest with you. I mean, but what, what I did like about what he said with his tweet is that he sort of acknowledged that he wants to do better and that he was like on about getting back to work straight away. And I, I, I like that mentality, if, if nothing else. And you know, yeah. we don't want to be changing positions with goalkeepers all the time. I mean, from my point of view, I've seen a lot of Andy Fisher. I don't think I'm going to change my mind when I say that I don't think he's good enough. 
So I am reluctant to make that change, really. So as far as I'm concerned for now, Bender is still in. I mean, if it, if it carries on and he keeps gifting a goal a game, then we might have to have, uh, you know, another look at it. But um, I think at the moment he still retains my support. So, yeah, yeah. Let, let's wait and see what um, what happens. You know, I think he, he has does have a certain amount of credit in the bank. So, you know, you don't want to go dropping people after every mistake. I mean, if that happened, you'd be making a couple of changes per game. And I mean, let's well, when this. a manager starts doing that, I think that's when a manager is on his way out, isn't it? If he keeps changing yeah. players in and out all the time, um, he's panicking, not knowing which best eleven to play. Then it's often a sign that the manager isn't um, comfortable in his position. And to, to be fair to Russell Martin, he's stuck by Stephen Bender vocally as well, and and said he's you no, know, he thinks he's excellent, doesn't he? So. Um, I think there is that acknowledgement. And I think the Swans fans' reaction to that tweet as well was very much, I think there's a large majority of the fan base that are very much behind Stephen Bender and and, and back him to, to come out of it, um, the little rut he's found himself in. But still keeping us in games and making vital saves. But um, it's that side of the game as a goalkeeper. You cannot afford to make those basic errors because it will always end up uh, costing you. Um, so it's something that... Um, uh, he'll look to rectify and I'm sure, you know, we need that to happen sooner rather than later because we're not a team, as you mentioned, that creates enough to necessarily be able to afford to give the opposition a couple of goal head start. And um, that's something we've done all too often this season already. Uh, but let's go back to your thoughts a couple of seconds ago about the transfer window and how it um, may play out because it's an interesting point you made about loan sign-ins and not necessarily being used as you touched upon uh, earlier on uh, Oko Flex has been recalled by West Ham um, which we suspected last in last week's podcast we talked about that happening but it still leaves a bit of a bitter taste in the mouth because I think those who watched him and saw him when he got his cameos on the pitch saw a raw talent out there that was prepared to take a risk but you know if for me those players who are the risk takers you're allowed to afford them that two of every three of their uh, runs or through balls whatever might, might not come off but it's all about the one that does they're not the ones that play for high percentage stats and stuff like that. They're the ones that try and make the difference. And those players will lose the ball more often than not. But that's the joy of giving them the ball is that they will try and keep trying to make things happen. So I myself am disappointed that we've lost him. Um, he was the sort of player that, for me, um, could have given us that extra 10% in the final third. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, I made the point on last week's pod, didn't I, that when we played at Coventry and we decided to go Latha Bodier left back and man in left wing. I mean, that was the one time where we were playing with wide players and there was a genuine opportunity to give Orko Flex a, a start in his correct position and to see how he got on and he chose not to do it, which I completely and utterly disagreed with. Um, look, uh, he's gone back now. I, don't, I think it probably makes sense because the manager just, for whatever reason, didn't seem to have complete trust in him. But, I think he was hard done by, and I think he could go somewhere else and, and do reasonably well. So it, it is yeah. disappointing. Um, I think there's, uh, you know, it does seem to be a running theme in some ways that some people are getting far more opportunities than others, not necessarily deserving it based on what we are seeing, you know, on the pitch. Maybe where, you know, obviously we're not seeing what's going on behind the scenes. In I think of, that's key, isn't yes. it? I think we've got to consider that we watch them for 90 minutes once a week, don't we? And and what we don't see is five days a week on the training field. We don't see the effort they put on the training ground. We don't see the attitude, the professionalism. I mean, there would be arguments if you just went on um, watching the Swans play this season that you would say, put everything out the window and let's get Oberfemi back on the pitch because if we can get him to a rich vein of form. But what we understand from Russell Martin's press conferences over the last year, 18 months has been that it's always been a professionalism issue with Obafemi and his attitude, and maybe that's been tempered a bit too far this time, um, and it looks like it's the end of the road for him. And I don't think there's too many Swans fans having been given that insight into the what's going on behind the scenes that disagree with Martin's stance. So yeah, I, think, I think, to be honest, you know, those ones like him and Patterson, 
like Patterson since the contract situation in January really has not offered a lot. No. And I think Oberfemi now again it's a running theme, and I this season he he hasn't done a great deal. But so I think those ones I sort of understand, and they they have had a lot of minutes. It's more the Oco flexes who had like one start, and then you're thinking of someone like Finn Stevens who had very limited minutes, and Ogbetter who's had hardly anything. I mean. How can we realistically, you know, judge these players to a point? We can't. We can't. But it's up to Russell Martin, isn't it? Like, we can all say things about the others, because Patterson, especially, the first six months, was great. Yeah. And then went off the boil. And now we're looking at, you know, he's been off the boil for about a year, having had a new contract uh, after he'd complained about it. And everyone's very frustrated by that. Now he feels a little bit let down, whereas Oberfemi, sort of similar, did really well. And then he was linked with Burnley, and it seemed like he may have thrown his toys out of the pram, and hasn't been great since. So I think those players, it's difficult to really stick up for them. But there's others then that seem to, you know, very rarely get a chance. And then there's some that seem to be undroppable, even though we maybe don't think they're good enough or consistently make mistakes. So, look, I think that's where it falls down a bit, isn't it? You know, I completely agree with you. I think ultimately Russell Martin makes the call on who he trusts based on what he's seen in training when he's spoken to to Matt Gill, to Dean Thornton, to the men closest to him, and he's decided, you know, this is the team that we trust for the weekend. And so they made that decision based on where they saw the effort, the application in training, how they see the team set up, where the opposition were playing. And Uncle Flex hasn't got the look in. It might just be that his face never fit. We look at the players we've had on loan, and we mentioned this in last week's podcast as well, and we do not utilise our loan players. We don't seem to be getting the most out of them. There's a couple that have had um, positive stints here. We mentioned Ethan Led. We look at Luke Cundall, who's pretty much 70% of the time finding himself on the pitch, which is good um, for Wolves. I'm sure they'll be happy with the amount of game time he's been getting. Um, but by and large, I'd say the majority of the loan players we've had haven't, haven't settled, haven't found their place here. And it does raise questions if someone's got a hot talent who they think the next step is, let's get them playing, you know, 20 times in half a season or something like that. You know what I mean? At a, at a decent level to see if they can, you know, keep up with the pace of that sort of football. Um, would they send them here? And it is a question and a, and a danger that I think we face um, when we talk about players um Let's talk about players. I mean, Swans have been linked with uh, lead striker Gelhard, Steve. He's um, he's one that's been bouncing around now for a, for a few days. Um, latest on that is that um, Wigan have joined the race to sign him, and uh, he was there before he went to Leeds. So there's a chance that uh, Home Sweet Home might be uh, might gazump us on this occasion. You know? Yes. You know, that is going to be a tricky one. I mean, if he's from the area, then, you know, Leeds to Wigan is not that far, is it? Whereas if he comes down here, it's a long way. All these things are bound to come into play, aren't they? Um, and, you know, if you're honest, Wigan are really struggling. The chances of him starting there would be very high. Whereas with us, I'm not saying he won't start, but there's, you do never know with Martin. I mean, the fact that, you know, Perot has been undroppable, hasn't he? Even though we think he hasn't played that well. So suggests that if he is going to play, he's going to play with him. Certainly isn't going to play instead of him. So, yeah, yeah. Um, it's disappointing because obviously that would be a signing that sounds like it would be good for us. But look, we'll uh, we'll have to wait and see. I mean, there's, there's still a chance that it, it can happen, I suppose. But you know, we're, we are going to have to wait and see. But I think Wigan coming in probably isn't great from our point of view, though. No, I think I think we agree on that one definitely. Um, on a wider point, ten days into transfer window, we did hear, um, and I mentioned last last week about tempering any sort of uh, fears or any sort of concerns we had about not making the movements we expected and were told we would make because we were told that we were very active pre-window opening and that things were in the pipeline already. Not a lot is looking like it's rushing to the forefront. Um, I was hoping that by the next podcast, i.e. this one, that we'd have something solid to talk about. Um, all we've had is a confirmed recall in Flex. So um, it does, as the days will pass and the week will pass, we'll find ourselves in a situation that we will start questioning 
are we scraping the bottom of the barrel again? How much truth was there in the fact that we were told by Julian Winter, by proxy of the American owners, that we were working and we were very advanced, as we were told, in several deals, Steve. And yet we find ourselves potentially heading into the middle of the window with no one signed. And then you look in at the rush. You ended up in the you know, shopping in the, in the in the bargain bin then, trying to find players who you're not going to ever end up using because they're just here to, to, as squad fillers. Yeah, it doesn't look encouraging at the moment, does it? I mean, the, the truth is, I mean, with these owners, I don't think they're ever going to, you know, put us in the financial shit, so to speak. But at the same time, are they going to give us what we need? I think the answer is no, isn't it? I mean, I could easily see them saying one thing and basically not backing up what they mean. So, you know, as ever, the proof is is in the pudding, isn't it? I mean, I'm looking at Ogben at Rotherham and we're getting linked with him. And I don't know if I said it last week, but I just don't see Rotherham selling to us at the type of money we would pay at this stage when he could be the difference between staying up or going down. I just think they're far more likely to do what we're going to do with Brian Manning, just keep him till the end of the season. And then he's more most likely to move on elsewhere. I mean... You know, yeah. I, I think we're living in a dream world, really, if we think we're going to get all Ben at like half a million or, you know, anything under a million. I, I just don't see it. And I don't see us paying that money. So I tell you where I find this sits. Um, previously, we've had the owners. We're not really sure what the intentions are, how we're going to approach a window. And we've been disappointed with the outcome. Now, this one feels a lot more like the statement that keeps getting bandied up with a, um, the face of Levy and a plan and talking about us taking us on to the next level when they just took over and how that's got proven to be bullshit. Now, this has been, for me, if my memory serves me right, the first time since then where we've heard directly from them something which could be proven to be false, where we've been told directly that Russell Martin will be given the funds to strengthen in January, you know, the push for promotion, etc. Told we're very active. This is the first time they've put their they've put something down where they can say, right, this is what we're gonna do, judge us by this. So if they don't follow through with it, as as our fears are, then this becomes another one of those, which is very dangerous for them to to back out to to, to come back from where you because you can do things where you you know, you can keep quiet and then say after a window, can't you? You know, people moving goalposts. We didn't see this. We didn't see that. But they made some bold claims in December, didn't they? And November about where we stood in the transfer market. And it is always a danger when you make those claims that you can't, you can't back them up. Yeah, that's the problem. I mean, just just don't bullshit us, basically, because yeah, you know, why would you do it? I mean, you're only going to get called out in it later on by us. So. You know, the fact is, if you come out and say these things, or we think we're going to be able to bring players in, then... I think the words were very active in the market, you know? Yeah, within reason. You you know, if you're not true to your word, we're going to get annoyed by it. I mean, yeah. nobody here is expecting four or five million players. But if you're saying we're close, then maybe we're expecting, I don't know, a free transfer or two, um, you know, a minimal fee, a couple of loans, anything, really. But, you know, obviously we are 10 days in at this point, And let's be honest, it doesn't seem like we're particularly close to anything, does it? So... You know, and a few players have gone. So we're now a little bit weaker. Plus, as we come back to, two players have been basically put to one side. So, you know, we, we're quite short now, considering where we were, um, certainly before the World Cup, when we were only really missing Joe Allen. So, yeah, we, we need to bring players in. And if they've said that, which they have, then, you know, um, if they don't do anything, then come the end of the month, everybody's going to be a little bit annoyed, aren't they? Yeah, and I will go back and say that this could all be proven to be the false dawn and we just don't have to worry about it because we could just be waiting for Burnley to put their money where their mouth is on Oberfermi for the Latibodier man in situations to be rectified and sorted out and Patterson as well. But um, that needs to be done as soon as possible. We can't wait and haggle over an extra... 100 grand or whatever, um, with the risk of that leaving us without a viable option to replace them with. Because we were going into this window to strengthen and we're already weaker. So we need to not only, we need to firstly replace the players that are leaving before we then look to buy more. It's a lot of work to be done. There's a lot of work to be done, but let's move on because there's going to be 
something to talk about all the time when it comes to Swans, um, and we could talk about that all night. Um, I was deliberating, Steve, whether to bring this into the podcast or not, as you know, before we started recording, but as hot off the press as this is for me, and you at least, as we record, uh, we see that, because um, we're talking about transfer window, and <laughs> uh, cousins of the East have decided to pay up their first instalment announce for the Salah fee. For me, this has been the biggest scourge on Welsh football for many years, maybe a generation, how they've handled this very dark, depressing affair. And um, and Joe, you know it feels even dirtier that they're doing this now just so that they can go and sign players that FIFA have told them they can't until they, uh, until they settle this dispute with Nons. Yeah, it's... Uh... You know, like you say, I think it has been a stain on the game. I mean, you know, what happened to Salah was a tragedy. And it does seem as if a little bit from, certainly from the chairman of Cardiff's point of view, as if he just hasn't wanted to to pay the money. And, you know, it's it has been a stain. Um, you know, they've, it's been appealed on various occasions. The, the first installment wasn't paid. And then, you know, it's ended up with a court of arbitration for sport. They've told them to pay it and they still didn't. And obviously then he went to a transfer embargo. And now suddenly it's been paid. And you're thinking, well, you're not actually doing the right thing here. You're not even doing it because you think you should. You're doing it probably because you're terrified of going down and you're under a transfer embargo and you can't do anything about it. And you're thinking, well, I'm going to pay for this, basically, to try and get the embargo lifted. And you just think, well, for my money, that embargo should still stand for a period of time. Maybe not for 18 months, but certainly the duration of this window. Because you can't seriously, you know, go through this for four years and embargo or find a, a punishment that you know, is deserved in the end, I would say. And then go, oh, it's only going to last a few days until you pay it up. No, you need to be taught a lesson that basically if you step out of line and you don't honour contracts, that especially if you take this long and you go down so many routes, you're told numerous times to pay and then you still don't, that for me, there needs to be a certain punishment that stands here. So... It'd be interesting to see people's response to the request of the embargo lifted because it does raise the question, if it does get done, then the next dispute, then it's the option of the other club to just delay, delay, appeal, appeal, because at the end of the day, when it comes to the punch and they do get an embargo three or four years down the line, then they just pay it then. So yeah, if people exactly. Want to That's take the a thing. There's no deterrent for anyone in a, a situation like yeah. that. Where if they want compliance, like they need to take a hard line, don't they? Like this, I know the circumstances are different because obviously we're, we're talking about a player who obviously lost his life in tragic circumstances. But, I mean, if, you know, if there's other ones usually in this situation, like quite often the opposition club will put you into administration if you haven't paid it because, you know, you have to honour these deals and they've not done that. So, you know, they're lucky they haven't been in this situation along those lines or, like, had this embargo sooner. So, you know, um, you can't then just, like, pay it, I don't think, without you know, taking some sort of a punishment. And I think they should at least be banned from signing anybody until uh, the summer. Well, it'll be very interesting to see. Um, probably it's debatable whether it has a place on this podcast, but um, they are our arch rivals. And I think it's probably worth noting that they haven't taken any sort of moral high ground. They don't appear on the face of it to have admitted or understood the reasons why they've had to pay nonce or anything like that. It looks like they've done it once again to find a personal benefit to them rather than the moral stance which everyone in world in the world of football was looking at from the day he died, essentially to say, pay what you owe. It's the morally right thing to do. He was your player. And they've not done it for those reasons. That much is clear because they've appealed to the point where there is nowhere else to appeal to. And now they've paid because we're in a transfer window. They can't sign anyone and they look like they're going down. That is not a good look for Cardiff City. Anything to do with Cardiff, really. It will be associated with this for a long, long time. And it is really a stain on it brings down Welsh football. It brings down the understanding of the game and how Welsh football is perceived across the globe because they are the capital city of Wales and they have made a bad, really horrible decision here, which is um, is it at a disgrace. But we'll move on because it's um, 
it's a dirty thing to talk about that club for too long on this podcast. Um, we've uh, another big, big, big bit of news that came out just yesterday, Steve. And uh, it's going away from the Swans here, but it's definitely related uh, to um, as we were talking about Wales just now. Is um, Gareth Bale announced his retirement? It's a massive shock because he's announced his retirement from club and country all in one swoop. Um, that's him. He's retired. Yeah, I mean, there had been speculation previously that he would retire after the World Cup, but I mean, when he signed that contract with um, in LA, I just thought, right, well, he's got another year to go. He said that before the Wales England game, it wouldn't be his last game for Wales, and I honestly thought what would happen is that he would, you know, play his part in qualifying with Wales, possibly see how LA do, and then if Wales were to make the Euros, probably go to that and then retire. That would take him to thirty-five. And that would be, you know, it for him. I mean, he is a player who's had a lot of injuries, as we know. So, you know, probably isn't, well, he definitely isn't the force that he was. He's more of a, a moments man, I would say, in um, in the last few years. But at the same time, those moments have tended to still be very key and, and a bit special. I mean, you look at the the Austria games in the playoff, uh, the, the playoff semi-final, scores an amazing free kick and then another one into the top corner in the second half to win the game. And then in the final, it's his free kick that I know it takes a deflection, but that's what gets us over the line into a World Cup. So still more than playing his part. Not brilliant at the World Cup, as we know, but neither were a lot of other players. So, yeah, big shock. I mean, from my own point of view, I mean, I've seen a lot of his games you know, with the Swans. We've sort of been lucky down the years. A lot of different players have contributed at, at different moments, but you almost look at Wales and think Gareth Bale has been influential in just about everything over the last few years. And look at 2018, for example, when we didn't qualify. The last two qualifiers he was missing. And you can't help but think that that was the difference in the end, really. If he'd played them, probably get in the playoffs. And I'm not saying we win the playoffs, but we're in there. And you're in there with the chance then at that point, aren't you? So, you know, I mean, there's just been so many great moments. I mean, like you were with me, weren't you, for the, the Belgium game in qualifying for... For Euro 2016, obviously he scores a, a brilliant goal, takes it down on his chest, spotted mm. it in. I mean, that was a massive goal, arguably his biggest goal. So certainly one of them. Um, and I think when we won that night, too, everyone was thinking, "Oh, this is it. We are finally we're going to qualify." And then again, you were with me in Bordeaux for the first game of Euro 2016, and he he gets us on our way with a, a standard free kick. I mean, it's there's so many bail moments, and you have to look at even some of the ones like. Scotland game in qualifying for the 2014 World Cup where Coleman had lost his first five games I think we're losing and you're thinking if we lose another one yeah, he could be on his way and he turned the game wins a penalty slots it in and then sticks one in the top corner and Coleman clings to his job and I guess that was a sliding doors but... moment that one wasn't it because it felt like almost like the old uh, Alex Ferguson story at Man United how things changed in that single moment where that ball hit the roof the top corner of the net against Scotland Steve it did not done then Euro 2016 may never have happened exactly and then you can you can even move on to another one where in the qualifying for Euro 2016 obviously we struggled in, and, in Andorra didn't we Andorra of course and, yeah he got the equaliser and then obviously I remember actually texting a mate of mine when we got the free kick late on saying I think this has to go in because we're not doing much else but obviously like where he's taking it you know it was a good chance and um, thank God the retake did go in and we won and again we, it set us on our way didn't it so um, you know I think it's very difficult to do justice to what Gareth Bale has, has done really Um what I would say, you know, sometimes you're lucky you see a once-in-a-generation, you might see a player like that. I think he is arguably once-in-a-lifetime player. I think, from a Wales point of view, we could live for 100 years. I don't think you'll see another one as influential as Gareth Bale. He was absolutely unbelievable for Wales. And I think the other thing was, just to look at how much he loved it, I mean, yesterday he posted two statements. He posted a general one, and then he posted one specifically about Wales. I mean, that... Yeah. That says it all, really, doesn't it? I mean, it, obviously the joke of the Wales Golf Madrid, but I think in the end it was probably true. But he loved it. I mean, he, he did just seem to love playing for Wales. It was, and it was really special. So um, we'll all miss him, and but those moments, those memories will will live on forever, really, won't they? Because he has done so much, and um, I hope there's a statue of him. I, I think somewhere in Cardiff there there should be one, maybe in the city centre. I mean, I, I think he deserves it, and. I hope that he takes like some sort of ambassadorial role with the FAW and 
you know, maybe tries to help along with the next generation because, you know, to have had such a global superstar, we need to try and put him to good use. I mean, I don't think he's going to work full-time in football or anything like that. It just doesn't seem like that's his, you know, what he wants to do maybe with his future. But um, I certainly hope he can, you know, be in, have some sort of a, an involvement, even if it's just in the background, because, you know, we've had an absolute superstar here and, um, you know, we've got to make the most of the people like that, haven't we? Well, I, I had so much to say, but I've been enjoying listening to your um, just to, to chatting about him because it's been it's, it's so hard to put into words. You've done such a good job because you have someone who is at some point in his career, um, without doubt, the top five players in world football at his peak. Um, you know, eclipsed only by Messi, Ronaldo, but he was in that bracket of conversation and you look at the likes of Neymar and stuff like that and then you were definitely at the Gareth Bale conversation he's playing at the height of of, of, of world football he's playing for Real Madrid when they had you know you, you look at the likes of Benzema Cristiano Ronaldo and the, the, the Ramos Pepe they got the best players in world football playing there and um, he was there winning trophies single-handedly. I mean, there's little doubt that he, you know, that some of the goals he scored were pivotal in Real Madrid's success. He's got five Champions Leagues to his name. I think there's a genuine argument, as we had after the Argentina win the World Cup, now is Messi the greatest ever footballer because he's finally achieved it. The argument is, uh, is Gareth Bale the greatest ever, not just Welsh export, but British export uh, into world football. And there's a very valid argument to say, yes, he absolutely is. I mean, what he's achieved on the world stage, um, even take away Wales and, and ask, look at his club career and what he's managed to do. Um, you know, he's managed in all in club and countries, 226 goals in 664 matches. And he was plagued by injuries through his career as well. So to achieve those sorts of numbers, you know, um, you know, over one in three, uh, he got more goals for Real Madrid than the original Brazilian Ronaldo. Uh, 106 he scored. He's he's just done everything that you could dream of at club level, and quite often, Steve, in situation of adversity where he wasn't necessarily liked, he was singled out repeatedly by the Spanish national newspaper, and you've got that kind of. He's got to deal with that and then turn up and produce the biggest stage where he's probably, in some ways, conflicted. Do I want to be here? Do I have the faith of the manager? You know, when he had the ups and downs with Zinedine Zidane and stuff like that and, and other Real Madrid managers. And you just think, maybe I'll just pack it in. They don't deserve me and I'll just go. Um, but instead, he channeled that into producing a shut up and look at me uh, attitude, didn't he? And his goal against Liverpool in the Champions League final, for me, is the greatest goal in a final, uh, in the Champions League final at least, that you'll ever see. Um, utterly phenomenal technique. Um, and the man was a, a titan of the game at his peak. He really was. He was just, you couldn't get near his pace and his power, how he developed from that, slender left back who uh, didn't look like he was going to necessarily feature very much for Tottenham. I think Harry Redknapp was looking to ship him out and then um, lucked up on him uh, moving up the pitch a little bit. And uh, the rest is history, really. He's He developed that, that power into his game then and his strength and became a real force. And his last season at Tottenham was... One of the one of the greats, wasn't it? I mean, Tottenham fans will have their own stories of him, uh, his duel with Mike on in the Champions League, um, which was uh, an absolute embarrassment uh, for the for the defender. But you, you look at him and you point those, you paint that picture of a world superstar, Steve, and then you take that and put him in a Welsh shirt, and he suddenly becomes the most humble. Do you know what I mean? He's not he's not got an ego when he plays for Wales at all. He is a one man who's playing for the dragon on his chest just alongside League One players 
players who can only dream of having a, a, a tenth of the career that Gareth Bale has enjoyed, yet you never saw or felt that ego in a whale shirt. And I think that's what sets him apart, apart from the fact that he's the record goal scorer uh, for Wales, um, far and away eclipsing Ian Rush's 28 um, with his 41. But he epitomised what it meant to be Welsh in that, in that particular era, particularly the Chris Coleman era, where you had that together stronger, you felt like every player was worth exactly the same once they put on that Welsh shirt. And that's what sets him apart for me in that he just lost, he didn't have an ego. He had the world at his feet, but he just played like he was playing down the park with his mates. Yeah, that, that's one of the things that you did love about him, really. I mean, look at Cristiano Ronaldo as a great example. I mean, look at how unprofessional the man has been this year, throwing his toys out of the pram and everything like that. I mean, all all about him. And you, you always got the feeling that, you know, Portugal were ever going to do anything, that if he wasn't heavily involved, that he would be a pain in the backside. Whereas I think Bale was almost a bit like, look, I, I'm here, but I'm here to play with all of you. I, you know, almost a bit like probably hating the superstar type lifestyle, if you know what I mean, and coming home and, and playing with his mates, isn't it? And thinking, well, yeah, yeah I'm the... I might be, I know I'm the best player here, but at the same time, I want to play with these people because they mean something to me. And I want to try and use my talent to try and get a sort of push us all a bit forward. So I think that was what was so so good about him, really. And I mean, he, like, the man was an absolute superstar, wasn't he? I mean, you've touched on some of those other moments there. I mean, that, again, well, who scores a hat-trick in the San Siro? I mean, it's not many do that, especially as an away player, do they? I mean... And two of them, especially, were like runs from his own half and he slots it in. You're just thinking it's almost like watching a, a man playing, you know, boys football or something. And, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's crazy stuff. And as you say, I, I always remember, I'm not sure if you were there that day, but the first time we played Tottenham away in the Prem, on a Sunday afternoon, we lost 3-1. Bale was playing on the left and Rangel was obviously had the, the unfortunate task of having to deal with him. And he just had to keep backing off all the time because he knew if he dived in, you know, Bale gone. was gone. I mean, every yeah. time he'd pick, he'd pick up the ball and halfway line, run in, and every time he would either end in a cross in the box or end in the corner. I mean, the guy just, I felt sorry for Rangel because realistically, what can you do? I mean, the guy was just so talented that, um, you know, you just, it was very difficult to know um, how to handle him. And I mean, you touched again on that Spurs, you know, the, the last season where he was there. I mean, he was incredible. There was so many worldies, so many winners late on. I mean, he did drag a team nearly into the Champions League. And then, you know, a goal that we haven't talked about was the, the Copa del Rey final against Barcelona. Yes, of course. Again, that was a, first season, wasn't it? You know, you were saying about British exports. I mean, he's got to be the best one for me. But not just that. I mean, you look at all the players England have produced over the last however long or ever and in my lifetime. I don't think they've ever produced anyone like Bale. I mean, I'm not saying they haven't produced players maybe as good. But nobody like... there's not. I can't think of a single English player that could have scored that goal that he did there against Barcelona, where he's just basically ran past someone as if they're not there, and then just taking the most of it. Probably, like, an old, look at the overhead kick, as you mentioned previously, an absolutely stunning goal, like, worthy of any game. One of the greatest you'll ever see, and it's in the final. I mean, Rooney did score a great one, didn't he, against Man City, for example. But, I mean, that just says it all. I mean, the guy was just so talented. The only thing is, I suppose, is, you know, his, his career has faded out a little bit, hasn't it? But... You know, in terms of moments, he's got moments that can rival anybody. I mean, if you did a top 50 Gareth Bale compilation... Oh, like God. Even tremendous. number 50 like, would like be... How many players can yeah. you say 50, <laughs> if you know what I mean? And there's quite a few where you could say 10 or something like that. But I honestly think with Bale, it could be 50. Like, it is... The guy was that talented, really, wasn't he? I mean, you know, there are so many great goals from him. And, you know, the, I think the thing that always struck me was when you'd watch him with Wales, I'd always be there thinking, even if you weren't playing well, thinking... We are in the company of greatness here. At any given moment, something might happen. And I mean, I'll, I'll touch on the Austria game again because I think I really need to say this. He hadn't started a game in five months. I mean, there was people saying that maybe he shouldn't start or ever. What he did was genuinely superhuman to produce two moments like that when you have not played in that long. It yeah. was. I, I don't think anybody else could have done that. What he did was absolutely ridiculous, really. But that just shows you, I mean... He he really is. He was a world class player, and even as he faded, he still had world class moments. And um, yeah, I think you know uh, as the years go on and you look back at the clips, you you I think we'll all realise that 
we were very, very lucky to have had him. And, um, you know, I think we're just glad that Cardiff had a transfer embargo as well, because I'm sure um, the main reason he retired is because he was thinking, well, I've got to go back to Cardiff or, or nothing. And so I think <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm sure um, they talked about that for months and it never happened. It was the, the greatest transfer that never happened. Um, for them, so uh, they can cry their salty tears over that one. He was an absolute. Um, so we're talking about him as if he's passed. I mean, he, he's he's retired. It does feel like um, a momentous moment uh, for Welsh football, possibly um, in the, in its history, because you look at him and the stats he's produced, and even at club level. I mean, you look at I mean, what he's done at international level when Wales were littered with. Championship and League One players to get those sorts of numbers is phenomenal because he's playing. If he was playing in, you know, a top German team, whatever, you don't expect it. You'd expect the dominance on the ball. You'd expect the chances to come to him. But in a team where you have to, you're playing with less of the ball. You're trying to counterattack and play uh, catch teams out on the break and not really see a lot of the ball. It's um, it's a ridiculous achievement. Um, even at Real Madrid. He scored 106 goals there. If he'd been given the free kicks and allowed to keep taking the free kicks and, and like Cristiano Ronaldo throwing his toys out of the pram and making sure he, with an awful record, was on every free kick, um, that figure would probably be 20, 30 higher again because he really was, as you talk about the Austria game, as good a free kick as you're ever going to see. And and you, you see that with him. He puts them in the postage stamp Um when you just think there's no space for it to go there, he's had that. I don't know. I don't think there's been a player like him that uh, England produced either because there's players that could do one or the other. But to have the raw pace that he could give a defender a 10-yard head start and just ping it into the space and get there comfortably before him, the power, the guile, the skill, the athleticism, the heading ability as well, the aerial prowess... Well, yeah, we didn't even discuss that goal in Cyprus. Exactly, exactly. You know, and that was a bit, I was at that game. It was my first a huge, away game, and that was moment. We were des- that was another game. We were desperate for a goal because we weren't playing great. A ball comes in from Jazz Richards, which, if I'm honest, is not a brilliant ball because it's quite high, but because it's Bale, it is a brilliant ball, and he bangs it in, and we win the game, and all but qualify. So this is it. I mean, you can. There's probably other moments we haven't even talked about. I mean, it, this guy has got so many of them. It's, yeah, uh, when you talked about fair. top 50, you could probably pull out 15 to 20 of them just on that final Spurs season alone. Because as you say, he was just having the best season of his career there um, and just in the best player in the Premier League that year. So um, he got the, the record move to Real Madrid. Obviously, you, you can talk whether or not that was the right move for him, but the guy has finished his career with five Champions Leagues and he was pivotal in a few of them. So, I mean... You look at yeah, that. I, I think, from my point of view, the the mistake that Bale really made was in 2018. I think he's a little bit unlucky here, right? But if Sidan doesn't quit at that moment, I'm pretty sure he leaves because it's obvious they didn't get on. And at that moment, Man United wanted him. Mourinho was there. It's likely, I think, that that transfer may have happened. And then, obviously, what happened was later in the season, Zidane returned. He's then in a bit of trouble, Bale really, because Zidane, you know, Zidane doesn't like him. But also Mourinho has now been sacked. So that opportunity to go to Man United is gone. So mm. I think that is that's the unfortunate thing. I just wish Sedan had stayed. If he had, I'm pretty sure he leaves. And then when he leaves, um, you know, that the the next part of his career may have gone a little bit better, but but we, these things happen, don't they? And uh, unfortunately in, in this case that's that's probably the you know, the, the one sliding doors moment from his his um club career where you know, things did go a little bit against him and then that led to obviously all the, the stuff that came later, didn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Um but um he was just he was just a titan of world football, wasn't he? And he he'll go down as um one of, if not the greatest, that uh, the whole of the uh all of Britain has produced. Um and it's not slanting him and saying he's Welsh, not British or anything like that, because we know he's Welsh, Welsh through and through. But it's a bigger thing. He's even bigger than saying he's Welsh because it's one thing to say he's the greatest Welsh player, but you could then challenge 
England, Scotland, you know, and the likes to say, right, what have you produced that's like this? That's done it on the world stage for so long and stuff. So that's what we're saying there. He's just really fantastic on a higher level as well. So it is really a, a testament to the man. He's, um, you know, he's retired now, but uh, Rob Page has spoken about wanting to keep him on in some role. Uh, I, I I just hope it's it's more... Um, for him, as you say, Stephen, ambassadorial role and stuff like that, and um, you know, he's not going to be he's not going to be involved in football. I don't think. I think his his love uh, of the game was uh, for Wales and Wales alone um, uh, towards the end, and um, and that showed whenever he put on a Wales shirt. So uh, we wish him well in his retirement, and um, I'm sure it won't be the last time we'll hear of him in some form. He'll be a uh, <laughs> be a hot man in demand now he's retired I'm sure a lot of people want to uh, to get him on board all sorts of punditry or media duties but uh, again I'm not sure that's going to be his, uh, his his bag but we'll see what happens with that um, let's move on and away from that and let's get back to Swans we spent a lot of time in this podcast said it wasn't much Swans news uh, to get back to Swans and look ahead to the two games Steve that we've got to preview now and first up it's a league game at the Stadium of Light this weekend it's Sunderland you're going up for the weekend and you're uh, <laughs> you're going up for a weekend to get pissed but uh, it's because there's a game in there somewhere that you're going to attend and uh, what are your thoughts ahead of the game away to Sunderland um, not too sure, really. I mean, we, as we alluded to, there were some positives the weekend, but it didn't create enough, really. Um, as we said previously, against Burnley, we did play quite well. That was an encouraging performance, especially in the first half, and, and Watford was decent. So, you know, hopefully we need to try and show more of that now this weekend. Um, it'll be a tricky game, won't it? I mean, Sunday. They've done well, haven't they? Yeah, plus, they'll, as we know, there'll be a big crowd, won't there? Because, you know, they are, you know, they're a very big club in this league. We've got to be honest about that. I mean, the biggest, really. I don't think you can, you can't argue uh, with that. I mean, their away record is nuts for fans, isn't it? I don't know if you've, uh, if you've seen it, but um, they have taken more fans away this season than anybody else in this division. And you think, considering where, um, obviously, the, the geographically where Sunderland is, it's pretty remarkable, isn't it? it does speak volumes for them. But I mean, you look at the table; they're eighth. One off the playoffs. I mean, we all know how, how tight it is because when I mean, you go down as far as Birmingham in mean, 17th and they're only seven off it. So, you know, um, yeah, look, it's, it's going to be a, a difficult game, isn't it? But um, hopefully one we can come away with was a posit- uh, with a positive result. I mean, last time we went there was probably my my favourite Prem away day where it was late in the season. We won 2-0. Mm. The, the club put on the, the free tickets and um, that, that result kept us up. So, you know, I don't think it's going to be quite as fun this time, but um, you know, certainly good memories of um, of going up there. And um, yeah, um, I'd, I'd probably be quite content with the draw if I'm honest. I think that would be a a reasonable return from uh, a trip to the northeast. Well, just as Sunderland managed a double relegation, um, they'll be looking at it and thinking there's opportunity here for a double promotion. The league, as we talked about in last podcast, Steve, there's nothing in it between so many teams. Seven places separate us in Sunderland, which should suggest we're in different, uh, having different seasons. But there are only three points in that seven places. So it really is that tight. Um, they will look at this and say these will be the sorts of games that will tell us whether or not we can push for top six and be in there at the end of the season or not. Um, if they're serious about promotion, then um, then they'll look at us and think, well, we are very much beatable. Yeah, I think the way for both teams really have to look at it is they are going to have to you know, win the, the more marginal games, aren't they? Certainly quite a few of them to maybe get in there and this is a game between, like you say, two sides that are there's only three points in it, and um, so you know there's, there's obviously we're, we're quite similar, aren't we, in that sense? So you, you are going to need to beat a lot of the teams around you probably to get in there. So I think both teams will should be thinking along those lines. Really, I mean, as I said on the previous uh, episode, really, I mean, a good January could be the difference for a lot of teams, really, because there's so little in it that if someone can just bring a couple in that you know hit the ground running, then you know, that can make all the difference, really. So, 
I'm sure Sunderland are looking at that in the same way. I mean, they had a striker from Everton, didn't they, that has now gone uh, back. So, yeah, to try and maybe replace him. Um, so, they, again, it can go the other way then, can't it? So, if they've lost, like, a player that's been key for them, then that's a frustrating thing as well, isn't it? So, it can it can work both ways. And, I mean, you might have some teams where, oh, Ben, we touched on earlier, I mean, if Rotherham had an offer that's too good to refuse, I mean, I don't think they'll sell him, but... I mean, if they were to lose him, they could send him down, couldn't they? So it's it's all those types of things, really, in terms of, you know, that this could be a key month for a lot of clubs because so little in it that a little bit of business here and there can make all the difference. Yeah, absolutely. And and that's, I think, probably where a lot of the uh, concern comes from our earlier part in the podcast about this misleading statements from the, from the board because you do look at it and think, now is not the time to fuck about because it is so close that if we manage to pass up another opportunity, um, no one wants us to gamble with the future. This, that would be a silly statement to make and um, no, no one actually wants that. But is there an opportunity there for us to act a little bit more aggressively in the transfer market? Is there a way for us to push something through so we're not dealing with shipping out Oberfemi and Patterson with two days to go on the final day and then saying, right, okay, well, that target isn't available. Well, that club isn't going to release this player now. Like, for example, let's take Rotherham with Ogben, Ogben, Steve, and, 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 and question whether or not if we were able to offer the sort of money which would entice them to sell now, then they'd get they'd have three weeks to replace him. Whereas if we were to do this and offer them the same money on transfer deadline day, they'd be like, well, no, because he would be key to our survival. So we can't replace him now. It's too late in the day. And that's the problem with waiting and waiting and waiting. Can we be more aggressive? Can we be on the front foot? We're not in a position to to gamble our future away. But um, I think the notes and messages coming out about us being very much active and, and um, pushing for deals in the transfer market is something that we now need to see come to fruition. Um, we You mentioned about us being uh, positive and in the last couple of performances, there were positives to take from them. I suspect, and I don't know if you agree, that we'll stick with four at the back. It seems to be bringing out a little bit more of a character of the team. We seem to be a little bit more aggressive off the ball as well, which is something we haven't said a lot about us this season. Um, and it's given us a little bit of an edge to our game. I think the fans want to see us continue with it, particularly while our squad isn't strong enough on wing-back positions to accommodate those those players. Yeah, I think it's, it's long overdue, really, isn't it, that we've made the swap based on the fact that we don't have the players to play to make wing-backs work as well as, as we'd like it to, so... Yeah, I mean, the, the last two league performances have been encouraging, so I think it would make sense to to stick with it. I mean, long-term, like I said previously, the, that midfield uh, trio, the lack of goals is a bit of a problem, isn't it? So, you know, that, that might need to be addressed, but I certainly think we've seen the step forward, and like I said, the likes of Cullen set in the tone with his work rate, that's definitely uh, something that is, has been a positive. So, yeah, I, I think it's probably the best, and you know, the manager doesn't exactly have a lot of options anyway, does he? I think that is where we're at. We're looking weaker as 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 we're making our stance felt with how we're going to deal with Obafemi and Patterson. Um, I don't see Morgan Whitaker coming into the team. I know he was uh, cup-tied in the weekend, but are we in a position now where Russell Martin selects him on the bench and integrates him into the team? That will purely depend on how his conversations and how those ongoing conversations are going with uh, Julian Winter about how what we're doing uh, in the transfer market, I should imagine, because he may have little choice. Um, of he's, Like you say, if he's putting better on the bench uh, in, in against Bristol City, then um, you'd imagine there would be a space on there for Whitaker if he wasn't being... Uh, lined up for a move away, so it's it's interesting to to see. We are definitely light, as you mentioned earlier on. Um, would you make any? Are there any changes you'd like to see Russell Martin make? It's not much of an option. Would I suppose you're looking at the likes of? Uh, would you integrate in Cham to get away from that 
defensive three in the middle? Um, I mean, possibly, but I suppose seeing as we're away from home, I think we could just stick with things as they are now and, and Cham is reasonable enough to bring off the bench, I suppose, isn't he? So, you know, um, I think for a home game, maybe we need might need to look at it in a different way, but yeah, I think we could. It might be worth us just, just sticking with the, the team from the other day, I think, for uh, for this one. A win could see us on the cusp of the playoff positions again. We say that most weeks because of how tight it is. Um, it really is ridiculous. Do you see us managing to get that win or uh, is your opt- most optimistic uh, opinion a draw? Um, I don't know why I'm going to say this, but I am going to predict a win. <laughs> Partly because I just think it's such a ridiculous league that anything can happen on a week-to-week basis. So if we have a day where we you know, turn up, play well, take our chances, then we are capable of winning. So, yeah, based on nothing really whatsoever, I'm just going to say we're going to win 2-1. Well, my uncle is, uh, is was, was born up in uh, the northeast and uh, is a is a diehard uh, Mac. Um, so he, uh, I kind of gather the tone and the mood, although he's the most positive man I've ever met anyway in terms of talking about his football club. Uh, the, he, I judge where they are at and he is brimming with confidence. He thinks we're on a hiding to nothing this weekend um, and he, he's really chuffed with the way things are going at the moment. Like I say, he is always really positive, but he is very much in a in a in a positive mindset about Sunderland and their fortunes at the moment. So I think judging from that is a very good is a very big feel good factor at the moment. You said earlier on about their travelling; it is second to none. Um, you can't get a ticket, even though the, uh, when they got promoted, um, we were talking about the chance of. Um, Merkel being able to go to games in this area than or anyone around the Midlands and stuff. And he said there's no chance because all those tickets get sold out and they will travel from the northeast to come down. It's just phenomenal travel support. So they are um seemingly in really high spirits and looking positive. So we've got to take our A game there um if we are going to uh silence that crowd and work it in our favour. Um Perhaps I'm not as confident as you in that regard, but I'm terrible at predictions. So maybe take this as a positive that I do think that we'll lose on the weekend. Um, I think I think they're just up feeling like they can go up again and push for um, push for those playoff positions at the end of the season. I'm going to predict a 2-0 home victory, but I am terrible at these, as you know, Steve. I hope I'm wrong. But um, we'll see. It is a crazy, crazy league this season. And um, it could be anything or anything. Uh, anything could happen on any given day. Um, before we go, we did draw against Bristol City. That means we have to play them again. And we're playing them uh, a week. When is it? Tuesday or Wednesday? Tuesday, isn't it? Yeah, Tuesday. A week Tuesday. Back at the Swancom. So I'll never get used to that. Um, it's... Uh, yeah, it's an evening kickoff. Um, let's just quickly go into that. We now we're in the hat for fourth round. We look at the fourth round team. We was it West Brom or is it Gillingham? No, Chesterfield. Chesterfield, West Brom or Chesterfield at home. I think it's a winnable. I think we all agree it's a winnable home tie in the fourth round. I think now that we've forced to play the replay, um, we'd like to progress. It would be nice now to get into the fourth round with a game that we could win at home and um, push on and maybe look at, look at a cup, cup run then. Um, would you expect us to go all all out for it against Bristol City and play our strongest team? Well, I mean, like you said, he can't make too many changes, can he? Because there isn't a lot of depth. There is, yeah. there is the option to maybe, you know, make the odd change on Cham being a, you know, a good example, really, of somebody that can come in. Um, you know, Darling didn't start the other day. I mean, there's, there's him, isn't there? Norton, obviously. So... You know, there is, I would say, an opportunity for a couple of changes, maybe, especially because it's now a midweek rather than obviously we had a lot of space than we, yeah, the, the Bristol City uh, away game. But yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't be against one or two changes like that. But I mean, I, I think a cup run wouldn't do us any harm at all. We are, we're not in the habit of winning games at the moment. So winning breeds confidence and, um, you know, a, a long run or a run where then you get a big team and you can make money that way. No, it isn't necessarily something to be uh, turned down. So, 
you know, I, I think that can't be a bad thing for us. Not at all. And I do feel like the atmosphere is slightly turning at, at home now and people are getting behind us again and we feel a little bit more like we can impact games and we can hurt teams. Um, like I say, even in that Burnley game, it was a defeat, but it was it, it didn't feel like one for a large part because of the way we approached it and we bullied them in times and really got on their faces. So let's hope that um, we're able to match those sorts of levels of intensity because if we do, Steve, I see us progressing in that game and I see us in the fourth round. Yeah, I'm I'm optimistic um, about that. I mean, like I said, I didn't think Bristol City were great. We're, we're at home. This, yeah, we've got a, I think we've got a reasonable chance. So, yeah, I mean, fingers crossed we can, we can get the win and I, I do think we're favourites. Yeah, I think so as well. Uh, so we're both going for uh, a Swans win in the third round replay. Yeah, I think so. I'll say one nil. There we go. I'll uh, I'll second that thought and uh, agree with you there. And there we go. We have it. We are looking ahead now. Uh, we uh, sorry. Let me rephrase that. We've looked ahead now to the the week's games. We'll be back probably after. Bristol City, um, just looking at the fixtures, um, we've got a game then on the Saturday. So we'll try and see if we can get one in on the Wednesday uh, to be with you before the QPR game, um, which uh, we're going to, Steve. So we're looking forward to that one. Um, yeah, it'll be a, it'll be an interesting one there, but we'll hopefully get a podcast in before then um, and be talking about two wins. Wouldn't that be nice, eh? But from myself and Steve, thanks for listening, and we'll speak to you again soon. Bye-bye.